Tonight, Rebel News reporters are doing amazing things, and I want to brag a bit. It's October 17th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you sensorious bug. Rebel News reporters are in or on their way to three different capital cities around the world, and I couldn't be more proud. Let's start with our own capital city of Ottawa, where the Trucker Commission is in full swing. I was there the other day. William Diaz Berthiom, our Ottawa-based reporter, is there. We have a whole team camped out in our Airbnb, which we have turned into a studio. It's so close to the official hearings at the Library and Archives Canada. It's remarkable, and I'm so glad because I think we have to cover this event very carefully. Sheila Gunn-Reed, who's not in Ottawa, she is at her Edmonton base camp, has been live-tweeting the proceedings. We've been live streaming the raw footage on our website, truckercommission.com. I really hope you've taken a moment to go there. Watch the whole thing if that interests you. Uh, Watch our shorter video clips and Sheila's live tweets if you like. Like I say, 13 different Rebel News reporters have been accredited there, including me. And oh, that makes the left wing very, very angry. Look at this story in Press Progress. It's an NDP front group They're saying we're turning this event into a circus. (laughs) No, no, mate. It is a circus already, and you are the clowns. We're just reporting on what you're saying and doing. They do not like the fact that we have access. William Diaz Bertium is our Ottawa guy. He's been doing a great job. Uh, Let me show you a clip from the other day when I, I, I think you recall I was there and I was live tweeting and doing stories about Zexy Lee, who's a 22-year-old young woman who was a witness. And I thought it was laughable. She was like a a woke uh, college kid just out of college who was having her dream, you know, reality TV show come true. She was very incongruous. It was very strange. Um, And she said a lot of stunning things. One of the things I, I think you heard me say was she was allegedly an eyewitness at this event, but um, she didn't witness any violence whatsoever by the truckers, no law breaking at all by the truckers. She did witness some law breaking. Her friends in her building were pelting the truckers with eggs from their apartment. So she did, in fact, testify to some violence that she saw. That was the only violence that she saw. It was from her and her friends, and she was offended when the Ottawa police came to investigate it. Zexy Lee, just a stunningly weak uh, witness, and our reporter, William Diaz Berthiom, was scrumming all the witnesses as they came out. Um, That's what you do if you're a journalist. You ask tough questions. If you're the witness, you don't have to answer. But if you're at a spectacular public hearing in the public interest, get used to it. So take a look at this interaction with Paul Champ. Zexy Lee's lawyer, Paul Champ, is also the lawyer behind the $300 million class action suit against the truckers. Um, He assaulted William Diaz Berthiom. What you are about to see is more violence in one minute than during the entire trucker convoy. Take a look. Miss, you specifically stated that crimes were happening due to the convoy, yet the crime rate in Ottawa dropped by 90%. Why did you keep lying about that? Why, why did you keep lying about this? 
Alright, whoa, 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 don't touch me. Well, you can put your... Don't touch me. I was intimidating, you're intimidating. What should I say? Miss, why do you think excessive honking means means that the government should strip citizens away from their rights? I didn't say you're not allowed. She has no point to continue ignoring your questions. Perfect. Thank you, ma'am. What a thuggish bully. I should note that Zexy Lee herself did not object to William Diaz Berthiom asking her questions. That place is crawling with security. None of them objected. But just this left-wing activist ambulance chaser, Paul Champ, who ran up to William and pushed him and assaulted him. That's super gross. But however gross Paul Champ is, I'll give him this. Even he himself says no martial law was actually needed. He's a huckster. He's suing the truckers for $300 million. But even he realizes that martial law was too much. Um, it's obvious that Zexy Lee and Paul Champ has never taken a tough question in their life before. They've just been dealing with the Ottawa regime media. And that's why having 13 Rebel News reporters accredited there is so terrifying to these people. And even the day I was there, the difference between what I saw with my own eyes and ears and what the regime media was reporting was just shocking. I mean, Zexy Lee, a 22-year-old girl, uh, kept on talking about that kid's movie, The Purge. The Purge. I don't know if you've seen the movie. It's a schlocky movie. The premise is one day a year you can murder anyone and there's no law and what happens on the purge? Yeah, that, that's a child's movie, Zexy, and you're trying to be a grown-up now and you're talking about how the trucker convoy was like the purge. That's sort of embarrassing and you're sort of embarrassing as a witness, an eyewitness who didn't actually witness anything. Pretty weak and, and I won't, this was last week, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. Victoria Delarond, the other witness who was up at the same time talking about how since the truckers' convoy, she has heard phantom honking in her mind. The honking lasted a few days until a, a local judge uh, issued a restraining order saying no honking, and the truckers obeyed it. This woman was so traumatized that she says she keeps hearing phantom honking. She must think Canada geese or truckers, airborne truckers, are trying to get her. She was... It was very strange. I felt bad for her, actually. Um, she was somebody's grandma who should come and take care of her. She said she was sleeping with a mask to, because she was worried about diesel fumes from the truck. I don't think masks work. It was just very embarrassing. And, and both these witnesses were absolutely shredded by lawyers. But you wouldn't know it because of the insane coverage. Global News is one of the worst. That's the network of David Aiken, the heckler. Remember him? Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate your presence here today. Uh, before I begin, let me just say that. Uh, thank, thank you very much. I might be. I'm being heckled here by by, by the. By, thank you very much for your congratulation. Thank you very much for your questions. I'm going to begin my remarks now. Justin Trudeau is out of touch, and Canadians are out of money. The cost of government is driving up the cost of living. A half a trillion dollars of inflationary deficits have bid up the cost of the goods we buy and the, and the interest that Canadians pay. The cost for workers and businesses to produce the goods that we buy. On top of that, Trudeau proposes yet more spending to bid up costs Trudeau even further. Some today. The more things, the more he spends, the more things cost. 
It is just inflation. Their homes and to buy a home in the very first place. I'll put my hand up. The reason that... The, look. Yep. So, I mean, we have, we, we have uh, basically a, a liberal heckler who snuck in here today. I used to work with David Aiken. I don't know what happened to him other than his global news has been colonized by Trudeau's money. So what's so interesting is not just that we were accredited there and not just, it's not just interesting listening to the witnesses, but to see the enormous different universe, like a separate reality of what is actually said versus what the media party reports. That's why it's so important the Rebel News reporters are there. Now today, uh, literally the, the commission is still meeting right now as I record this. I understand they might be going as late as 9 p.m. tonight. That's very un-Ottawa-ish, isn't it? To have bureaucrats and lawyers working past 4 p.m. I mean, Ottawa is sort of 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. kind of town. These folks get cracking in the morning. They work till as late as 9 p.m. They work on weekends. I... I can't even remember the last time that was away. Anyway, so today's news, um, they're, they're showing, they're, they're interviewing different staff at the city of Ottawa, the emergency preparedness officer, the chief of staff. Um, <clears throat> and it looks like there was constant communication between the truckers and the city and the police. And in fact, they had struck a deal between the city and and the police to move the truckers out of residential areas. That make, makes a lot of sense. Get them away from where people are. Get them to where the politicians are. But the police actually stopped the trucks from moving. The city manager said he would help help call the police off. But if you see what was going on today, the police were the ones who were blocking the roads. The police were the ones who wouldn't let the trucks move. There was another bit of testimony that there was no violence or no threats when trucks were occasionally towed or ticketed. There just simply was no violence. And these are from witnesses. Here's um, when the city of Ottawa's head of emergency preparedness said in an email on January 30th that police were doing a, quote, great job at maintaining the fine balance between a peaceful demonstration and a potential riot. And the city manager, Steve Kanellakis, agreed and said, keep the peace was the objective. So my point is, the truckers came to Ottawa, and for the first few days, they were really noisy and honky. And I saw that with, myself, with my own eyes and ears until a judge said stop it, and they did stop it. But they were constantly negotiating with the city and with the police, where should we be? Should we move trucks here? Should we clear this lane? We'll get away from the residential areas. And it was all in good faith again and again in today's presentation, in today's examination. And these were city staff. And again and again, they said the truckers were acting in good faith. And I want to remind you what the law says, because we're not here to hear sob stories or, you know, stories about phantom honking. That's very, very interesting for your diary or whatnot or Facebook page. What is the purpose of the commission? Let me remind you that the Emergencies Act, which is a kind of martial law that had never been used before in Canada, whenever it's invoked afterwards, there must be a judicial inquiry to see whether or not it was justified. And the Emergencies Act is only justified if one of two things is afoot. If there is a serious danger to people in the country or a serious danger to the sovereignty of the government, but this next line is absolutely key. And the word and is there. So you need serious danger to people or serious danger to the country, and that cannot be effectively dealt with under any other law of Canada, unquote. 
So you have to prove that these problems, whether it was the honking or whether it was last week someone testified that there was someone who had peed in the snow. I know that's very terrifying. That these things, however bad, however irritating they may have been, could only be dealt with through martial law, not through any other law, not through any city bylaw, not through any regular policing, not through just towing them, that you literally needed to put soldiers on the streets or the nation was going to fall to insurrection or mass danger. If the first few days of this commission are any guide, that is not the case. And I'm so glad that we're covering this thing around the clock. We literally have rented an Airbnb that we've turned into a studio. And we're live streaming. We're, we're covering this very seriously. I think this is very important. So that's Ottawa. You sort of knew some of that. I was giving you a bit of an update. But we are in another nation's capital, too. Did you notice that five of our people are in Berlin? Here's a gorgeous picture of our, I call them Ezra's angels, Drea Humphrey, Tamara Ugolini, and Alexa Lavoie, along with two support staff, Ed and Guillaume. Here's a little introductory video explaining what we're doing there. Well, it is on big pharma pushers and globalists better watch out because I, Drea Humphrey with Rebel News, almost dropped my suitcase there, is on my way to meet up with the dream team in Berlin, Germany, because we are going to be covering the World Health Summit 2022 like no other. I'm meeting up with the lovely Tamara Ugolini, as well as Alexa Lavoie. We also have Gilliam and Ed out there to bring you this important coverage. There's gonna be some big names that you know, all behind the medical tyranny we've all been under. There's also gonna be some faces that you don't know, but who have been a part of pulling the strings to make these agendas happening and that you, deserve answers from. Now I'm in, might I add, a very maskless airport in Canada. Very nice to see. I would say about 98% are breathing fresh air, smiling, and not wearing their face diapers. But in Berlin, there is an indoor mask mandate happening. In fact, an N95 mask mandate happening. So we really had to study who was going. We had to look them in the eye and make sure we're going to be able to ask them, again, the questions you deserve. That's a scene setter by Drea. Here's one by Alexa. So, yeah, Alexa for Benis, and we are currently meet Drea Humphrey and Tamara Ugolini here in Germany, in Berlin, to cover the World Health Summit 2022. It's starting tomorrow, but tonight will be a protest. So if you want to see all our coverage and you don't want to miss that, Go to rebelwho.com and if you can, in the same time, you can chip in whatever you are able to, to help us with our travel expense. But seriously, this travel will be the best crazy report. Don't miss that. Let me show you the next video from Tamara. Well, I have reached our final destination, Berlin. My flight from Amsterdam was slightly delayed due to what the pilot stated was the German military closed off a portion of the airspace. Um, they were conducting some sort of practice. So I thought that was a little bit interesting to note. Um, so I'm here in Berlin and I'm going to locate Alexa and Guillaume and make our way to the Airbnb, which I believe we have about six hours to kill um, before it's ready. So. 
after, I don't even know, 18 hours of travel, another six, we're all going to be pretty exhausted, um, plus slightly jet-lagged. So stay tuned because we'll be giving you full reports and updates at rebelwho.com. See, we're staying in an inexpensive economy class Airbnb in Berlin also. When you have five people, you often can save money by renting a large apartment or a house through Airbnb rather than getting five hotel rooms. So we booked an Airbnb in Berlin, but the conference was in a fancy hotel and we couldn't get in unless we booked a room there. So we booked the cheapest room we could find in this super fancy hotel just for one night. So we had the right to enter the hotel and we had the hotel key card. And Tamara went into the fancy hotel where the World Health Organization was having their summit. Remember, just to re repeat, this was the first time the UN's World Health Organization had had an in-person conference in three years since before the pandemic. So you had delegates from Canada, the United States, UK, Germany, and all over the world. Almost 200 countries were sending delegates to the big WHO conference in Berlin. And is the CBC there? Is CTV? Is Global News there? No, of course not. And if they were, what would be the point? They would just be regurgitating the talking points in the press releases. So we are the only Canadian journalists that I'm aware of at all, let alone the only independent ones. I think we're the only Canadian journalists there. And Tamara Ugolini, who has been following the medicine and the science very carefully, wouldn't you know it, she just happened to bump into Dr. Tedros, the head of the World Health Organization. Now, give me a second. Dr. Tedros is not a doctor. He's a PhD, but he's not an MD. If you're the head of the World Health Organization, you call yourself Dr. Tedros, you're deceiving people by making them believe that you are a medical doctor. The head of the World Health Organization is not a medical doctor. He's He is actually, in his home country, he's actually accused of being a war criminal. He was installed uh, at the head of the World Health Organization by China. And it shows he helped cover up for China when the Wuhan virus broke loose. But let me show you when Tamara Ugolini just by chance bumped into this Dr. Tedros at the hotel. Now, she only had a moment because they were just bumping into each other in the lobby. Take a look at this, and then I'm going to come back and give you my thoughts. Take a quick look. Okay, Mr. Tedros, how are you? How are you, Mr. Tedros? <laughs> if you could do lockdowns again, would you would you do that? If you could do lockdowns again, would you support them? I'm sorry, please. Mr. Tedros, if you could do lockdowns again, would you support them? That's what you get for unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats heading in there to the WHO conference, the World Health Summit. Tedros was nervously laughing behind his medical mask. As you can see, his handler quickly got in the way once she realized that I was skeptical of his failed lockdown mandates. He obviously had no idea how to respond. What do you think at home? Should these bureaucrats be held responsible for their failed policies that have resulted in grotesque harm of people all across the globe with looming economic devastation, loss of liberty, and loss of freedom? And if no one is here to ask the hard questions, then how will the public ever know? Follow our reports as we try to show you how the top 1% wines and dines while you're told to shutter your business, stay home endlessly, all for the alleged greater good. That's a great question, and there's some good luck to bump into them. 
But look at it again just as B-roll without any sound. Fresh-faced, attractive young woman from Canada. Hey, Dr. Tedros, he thinks she's a groupie or a fangirl. And what does he do? He has never met Tamara Ugolini before in his life. And he's about 65. And Tamara Ugolini is a, a, a nice woman with a nice smile, asking the question, and he immediately puts his arm around her. She didn't say, "Let's here, come in close for a, for a selfie. They didn't know each other. He thought she was some group. I, he, he was, I don't, know if, I don't know if I would call that a grope, but a young woman comes up to you and asks you a question, and your first move as an old, dirty old man is to do the creepy thing and hug her? Like, what are you doing? Have you ever done that in your life? Has a grown woman come up to you and, and, and said something and your first move is just to, to grab? That's a Trudeau move. That's a Bill Clinton creepy move. Then when Tamara asked her question and Dr. Tedros can tell that he didn't want to answer, he immediately stopped hugging her. He realized that she was not a fat girl and her staff, his staffer pushed her away. I think Dr. Tedros has never being asked an unscripted, unfiltered question before, just like Zexy Lee and the other witnesses in Ottawa have never been asked an unscripted question before. I think our Rebel News journalists are doing things that have never been done before. Here, let me just put a couple more videos from Berlin. Here's one from Dre Humphrey from Vancouver, who's doing great over there. In case you haven't gotten familiar with our special site called rebelwho.com, which is going to keep you up to date on what we're doing in Germany, which is getting to the bottom of the agendas being pushed by big pharma globalists across the world. There wasn't anything about sort of the other side to lockdowns, like losing jobs and businesses. Do you think that that should be represented in this event? No, you got to focus on one thing. I think they're What's more that? focusing on solutions. They are not on the victims and on the um, disadvantages that are brought. And so what solutions do you think are most important to focus on? Vaccination and developing of new uh, products. The costs of the measures, uh, counter measures uh, of the COVID, that is a very good question. I think that as time goes by, when we, we're no longer so afraid, we will see the cost of, for instance, closing down schools. I really like Drea, and here's a video from Alexa Lavoie. Just an excerpt of a video just to show you what we're up to. So we don't know what is happening. Like the alarm, a fire alarm is just started and uh, it keep like stopping and restarting. The conference has stopped. Um, we will go and try to check what is going on, but it seems that maybe someone is putting out the fire system or you have really a fire. So let's go check it let's out. Go. Alexa's great and every day she's doing a summary en français as well. My view is between Drea and Tamara, we can get a lot of English language videos, but it's not just Quebec. It's all of France and Belgium and other places around the world that speak French. They should have access to what's going on. And Alexa speaking in French is a way to talk to them. I'm very proud of that, by the way. We have more amazing videos to come. And I learned about a few today that we are not going to release until uh, the team is back from Germany. But for more, you can go to Rebel who.com there are there are let me tell you we had a great meeting by zoom with the team it was late at night over there we, we were talking to them by by skype actually and i'm very excited about what they found and it's simply because the un and the world health organization are not used to having any actual journalists there they're used to having stenographers and propagandists so to have actual independent-minded curious skeptical journalists there um 
was was amazing. And you'll see that uh, in about a week when we release some of that. Um, so capital number one is Ottawa. That's the most important to us. That's our capital city and Canada's where we live. And so 13 journalists were cy- will cycle through the truckercommission.com Airbnb. Berlin is important because, of course, the World Health Organization that affects us. Teresa Tam is a loyal member. She used to work for them. So that's in the second capital city of Berlin. But if you can believe it, we have more adventures to come, and we have two journalists winging their way now to the capital of Argentina, Buenos Aires, because they are going to a meeting of a group called C40 Cities. What is C40 Cities? Well, let me quote from their webpage. A global network of mayors taking urgent action to confront the climate crisis and create a future where everyone can thrive. So they're meeting in Buenos Aires. Do you like the fact that your mayors are getting instructions in a foreign country far away from any public scrutiny? This is not how you do democracy. I mean, the whole point of a local government is that it's local. I remember one of the uh, complaints by the 13 colonies that broke away from the UK is that the decisions were made by a distant and partisan king. They wanted to be ruled by local people, not someone half a planet away, the true globalist, the emperor. But this C40 meeting in Buenos Aires, they're taking mayors, including Canadian mayors, they're taking them down to Buenos Aires and they're having meetings. I'm not going to call them all secret because not all of them are secret, but there are no Canadian reporters there other than us. The transcripts are not published. Uh, There's all sorts of lobbying going on. And what on earth are our mayors doing in Buenos Aires instead of making rules up here? Whose agenda are they following? Since when does a mayor need to go to a foreign foreign country to get instructions? Well, look at their funders. Follow the money. There are some other governments involved. Why should a foreign government pay to lobby our Canadian mayors? That's weird. There's other lobby groups. Look at that. The Open Societies Foundations. That's George Soros. Look at that. Novo Nordisk. That's a vaccine company. They say they have a, quote, global agenda. And they're very blunt the climate extremism a transition off of fossil fuels what are canadian mayors doing going we are covering these things because no one else can and no one else will we are sending two rebel news journalists economy class airfare to buenos aires it's far away it's expensive to do but do you not think someone like someone like anyone please maybe would it be too much to ask CBC or CTV or Global News or Toronto Star or the Globe and Mail, who actually have huge budgets, would it be too much to ask that one of them might actually show some curiosity and skepticism and report on what is going on and who is poisoning our political system with the foreign agendas that have nothing to do with their own country? Well, apparently it is too much because Little Rebel News has to do it. One little company, three capital cities, Ottawa, Berlin, and Buenos Aires. I'm very proud of our Rebel News journalists. There's so much to, to watch and so much to do. I hope you're enjoying our coverage. Truckercommission.com is to where to find out all things about the truckers. That's our big project. That's the one where we're going to be there for six weeks, 13 journalists cycling through. The Berlin project is important. It's wrapping up in a couple days. The videos we've got out of there are going to knock your socks off. You won't believe it. We're going to wait till we're out of Germany and back home before we show you the doozies. And I'm very interested in what's coming up in Buenos Aires. Our people are actually en route to there right now. More to come on these things. More to come. Stay with us. More ahead. 
there's something happening with the left coast. I'm not just talking about in Canada, in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, in Seattle. Those cities have gone so far towards defund the police and free injection sites and homeless shelters that I think even the liberal progressives who inhabit those cities are snapping back in San Francisco. They've got a law and order politician. Whoever saw that coming? And Vancouver, the most eco-friendly city in Canada, I think it really wants to be like Seattle, San Francisco, and L.A. Well, last night, holy mackerel, did the pendulum swing back. This guy, Ken Sim, a pro-police, pro-business mayoral candidate, trounced the incumbent, Kennedy Stewart, a former NDP MP, it wasn't even close. And not only did Sim himself win in Vancouver, they have political parties contesting their city elections. His slate swept every one of them getting elected to city council and also on the parks board and school boards, too. Here's a little taste of Ken Sim in his own words. Take a look. It's time for change in Vancouver. Change that actually reflects the hopes and ambitions of everyone living in the city. We can make Vancouver safe again. We can make progress in housing. We can unite the people in this city and craft a future we can all be proud of. We will hire 100 new police officers with 100 mental health nurses, deliver 5,000 new daycare spaces and stop the road tax. On October the 15th, I'm asking you to vote for me, Ken Sim, and an ABC majority on Council Park and School Board. Change. It's as easy as ABC. Running, saying you're going to bring more police, you're going to oppose the road tax. I don't know if you heard him say it, make Vancouver save again. That almost sounds like make America great again. I'm sure it was just a coincidence, but it was a little bit Trumpy nonetheless. I've been reading about Ken Sim. I, you know, I'm in Toronto now and Alberta originally. I don't know a lot about him, but he's talking about reducing the permits required. He wants to make Vancouver attractive to industry. Who even talks that way on the left coast? Well, our next guest does. His name is Aaron Gunn. He's a political commentator. He has the online series Politics Explained. And actually, in the run-up to this election, he had an ultra-viral video called Vancouver is Dying. Here, just take a little look. People are afraid in Vancouver. You shouldn't have to walk down the street looking over your shoulder, but that's the way it is now. You just kind of get used to this being part of what it means to be a Vancouverite. This isn't normal, and this is actually something wrong, and that we should hold our political leaders accountable for presiding over something that is clearly not okay. We had a good city in the 90s. What the f happened then? What is happening to Vancouver? One of the wealthiest and most naturally beautiful cities in all of North America has been beset by skyrocketing crime, violent attacks, and a crippling battle with addiction that's literally left thousands of people dead. But what is at the root of all these problems? Do police have the tools they need to do their jobs? Are violent offenders being released with little to no regard for public safety? And has an ideal obsession with so-called safe supply and free drugs overshadowed the desperate need for treatment, recovery, and rehabilitation. Harm reduction. Somebody's got a sense of humor, man. Because yeah. that shit ain't helping nobody, man. Right. It's helping everybody get high more. Everywhere you look that this stuff has taken hold significantly, the cities have become destroyed. My name is Aaron Gunn, and this is Politics Explained.
174 more deaths lost to illicit drugs in B.C. There was an altercation, an exchange of gunfire, and a man in his 40s was shot dead. Police say the man was walking shirtless in traffic while kicking cars before the woman and toddler were knocked over. Vancouver is dying. From Vancouver, Aaron, congratulations. I, I'm shocked by this. I, I didn't see it coming. I mean, maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention to Vancouver city politics, but Ken Sims seems, seems about as un-NDP-ish as could possibly win in that great city. Yeah, well, you know what, uh, Ezra, things here in Vancouver on uh, on the left coast, as you called it, have just gotten so bad that I think uh, it even woke up people on the left. So uh, they flocked to the polls there over the weekend and uh, delivered a massive mandate that totally blew any of the polls out of the water. Uh, Ken Sims, as you mentioned, won by over 20% of the vote. So, um, And this is a rematch, actually, from four years ago, where Ken Sim uh, uh, lost a closely fought uh, race. That's incredible. I understand that as many as, well, almost 40 BC mayors were either booted or chose not to run again. Now, I don't know if that's just a coincidence or if there's a new spirit out there of enough is enough. Uh, what do you make? I mean, listen, it's not everywhere that was as dramatic as Vancouver, but Vancouver is the most important city in that province. Tell me about some of the other lay of the land. Are there other places that are shrugging off? Is it an anti-incumbent feeling? Was it an anti-left-wing feeling? Was it just things have gone too far down the road to skid row? I think what happened is that those, particularly on the left, that were committed and almost obsessed with espousing ideologies instead of just a common-sense approach to local governance, really... Uh, really uh, had it coming to them this election and, and the, the electorate uh, delivered their judgment on, on their approach to, to governance. And I'll be the first one to say, um, you know, I'm, when I'm looking at a municipal race and trying to vote for a mayor or council, I'm not really looking for an ideological crusader. I'm just looking for someone to keep the streets safe, uh, you know, to, to keep the roads paved and to keep taxes at a reasonable level. Another really good news story is the Victoria City Councillor, Ben Isitt, was just absolutely trounced. This is the uh, this is the brilliant genius who tried to defund Remembrance Day celebrations, uh, Christmas uh, light uh, show in Victoria, and uh, then also attacked veterans um, and the Invictus uh, Games. So uh, it was good to see him uh, shown the door by Victoria voters. That's great, and I don't dare ask if the mayor was reelected. I assume she was. She didn't. She didn't run again. She okay. Didn't run. Okay. So That's a relief. That is a Maybe news. she saw the writing on the wall because I know that Victoria's mayor has been atrocious as well. Are there any other interesting things around the province that you that you caught your eye? Well, Surrey was really interesting. I don't profess to be an expert on Surrey politics. Surrey is the second largest municipality in, um, I believe, it's almost as large as Vancouver, actually, in, in BC. And um, now that fight, the incumbent mayor lost there as well. That election had a lot to do with this RCMP versus Surrey police force mm. uh, debate that was going on. I don't profess to be an expert in it, but um, they had started the transition towards the Surrey police force. And uh, that mayor lost re-election to somebody who wanted to reverse, uh, to reverse that move. Isn't that interesting? Local practical stuff, not the woke stuff that is so dominant. I mean, I was just saying a moment ago, we we're sending two Rebel News journalists down to Buenos Aires, Argentina. What on earth are we doing there? Well, a bunch of big city mayors are having this conclave. They call it the C40 cities. 
What are they doing having this ideological boot camp thousands of miles away? I think these city politicians, they, they think it's like a lab experiment for wokeism instead of just picking up the garbage, having police keep people safe, making sure businesses can provide prosperity. And BC really has been one of the worst places in Canada for that wokeism. Yeah, I think the the NDP and the left more broadly is using cities as almost like their farm teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know they're bringing in the next generation of socialists that they eventually want to graduate to the provincial and federal level. But this is where it all starts. Uh, fortunately, and they take advantage of the fact that voter turnout is normally so low that uh, you can organize a relatively small group of people and uh, kind of achieve access to the levers of municipal power. Uh, and as you know, Ezra, obviously, municipal governments in a lot of ways have more impact on our daily lives than either provincial or federal governments do. So they are really important. And it's good to see voters uh, wake up. But I have to say, Vancouver, if you've been down there recently, especially not just the downtown east side, the problems that were confined to there have radiated throughout the city. You have one, uh, four random stranger attacks every single day. Crime has exploded. <laughs> homelessness has exploded. And uh, the overdose crisis is just completely out of control, over 2,000 British Columbia. It's basically the worst place in North America, the worst place in the world, essentially. Significantly higher rates of deaths from overdose than, than either uh, the city, other cities that you mentioned uh, uh, in Washington State and California. That's incredible. I mean, all the time I, I see what's happening in San Francisco. There's, there's this extremely wealthy Silicon Valley class, the high-tech class. And then there's the abject poverty and lawlessness. And I mean, I, last time I was in that city a few years ago, I stepped out of this really fancy restaurant. I almost stepped over a homeless person living right outside. Like the juxtaposition is shocking. It sounds like that's sort of come to Canada too. That that just yes. degeneration of the city. I think people are afraid. They're afraid. I mean, Vancouver for decades has been the most beautiful, best city in the country. It sounds like it was starting to rot a bit and people said enough. Yeah, exactly. And I think it shouldn't come to us as a surprise to many people that when you copy and paste the exact same left wing policies, whether it's a city in the United States or, or or up here in Canada, you get the exact same results. And that's what we've seen happening. And, and to your point, yeah, you've got the beautiful ocean, you have the mountains in the background, so much wealth concentrated in a specific area, uh, people coming from all over the world. And then you also have this rot and degeneration and lawlessness and open drug use just happening all throughout the downtown core and the violence that inherently comes along with that um, radiating outside of the downtown core into the suburbs and and uh, nearby uh, adjacent communities. It's just so interesting. I understand that the police union endorsed Ken Sim, which I understand is quite rare. And, you know, I was just reading a little bit about him because he's just so new to me. I didn't hear him about him until today. Um, when he's asked about homelessness, his answer isn't throw more cash at East Hastings Street. It's, you know, that get permits easier, more construction, supply and demand. Like it, it almost sounded a little bit free market. Like he still feels like a Vancouverite, that's for sure. But I found it so hopeful. I don't know. I uh, I think that if I was Justin Trudeau, I might be a tiny bit worried that Vancouver isn't quite the same place he took for granted. Maybe I'm extrapolating too much from local things to a federal level, but um, I don't know. It gives me a lot of hope. I'm just surprised by it. I think that's why. Last word to you, Aaron. Yeah, look, I think that Vancouver and many 
people living in Canadian cities, they've been apathetic to the, the politics that's that's been happening around them or being imposed upon them, but they're starting to wake up. And that's because you can't ignore a problem that's literally happening right in front of your face. And that's what's happening in Vancouver. That's what's been happening in Victoria. And I think other Canadian cities as well. Uh, people are looking for common sense solutions. And uh, I think they're natu naturally uh, antagonistic toward attempts by those on the left attempting to impose radical ideology and ideological solutions upon them. That's not what they're looking for. And this weekend, uh, I think voters sent, uh, sent that message loud and clear. That's incredible. I'm just so hopeful. And I would encourage Toronto, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, pretty much everywhere else to look and learn. Aaron Gunn, great to see you again. Thanks for your time today. Thank you for having me. Well, what a pleasure. There he is, Aaron Gunn, political commentator from BC. Very interesting fella in a very interesting place. Stay with us. My reading your letters is next. Hey, welcome back. Your letters to me on David Menzies dressing up as Lemieux with this prosthetics. Christopher Matthews says, I'm guessing busty Lemieux costumes are going to be very popular for Halloween this year. You know, it's crazy uh, because, in fact, that school board has sent around memos about appropriate Halloween costumes, and they basically said no dressing up as this teacher. I mean, it's quite something. One Mad Max 80 says, Menzoid is definitely earning his keep this week. Keep up the great work, Mr. Menzies and the Rebel News crew. Trudeau must go. David's doing a great job, and he makes me chuckle, but he's doing good journalism underneath that. On my commission, trucker commission monologue on Friday, SH says, provincial sovereignty should be an issue for all provinces. The Fed's only business should be national security, borders, ensuring interprovincial travel, and trade. You know, if you look at our Constitution, Section 91 outlines a few things. I like the fact that uh, they're in charge of foreign affairs. It would be weird to have every province in charge of foreign affairs, for example. There's a list of things like national works. I think that makes sense. I think you have to have the ability to put a you know, Trans-Canada Highway or a pipeline or an electrical corridor through the country. There are certain things that I grant ought to be done by the federal government. And, it, and frankly, I think there should be some criminal law power. Uh, the criminal code is a federal document. You can have provincial offenses too. I just think that that's right. So I would I would have a few more items on the list than you do, but holy mackerel, has the government, the federal government, injected itself into other things? I mean, Section 92, that's the provincial powers, clearly says healthcare. What are the feds doing in healthcare at all? Same thing with with education. So I think the provinces have a lot of power they can take back from the feds. New Ham says, wow, the mainstream media had everyone thinking that all of Canada was supporting Trudeau. Apparently not. Yeah, well, you know what? I, I really see the, the gaslighting effect of our media party when I see their coverage of this trucker commission versus the reality of it. You can see how Trudeau, Trudeau gets away with so many things. Deborah Valentine says, looks like Ezra Levant lost weight. How dare you? Good for him. Keep Looks healthy and much better, if I'm honest. Keep up the good work and best from the East. Well, thank you very much. I am trying to slim down a bit. It's a battle. Um, you know, I'm doing things I never thought I would do, like getting up in the morning and going for a run. I mean, those words have never uh, crossed my, my lips before. But, uh, you know, better like than never to get a little healthier. I am uh, down a few pounds. So thank you for the kind compliment. Well, listen, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rubber World Headquarters, to you at home, good night.
and keep fighting for freedom. If you haven't checked out our special website covering the other side of the story of what's really taking place at the World Health Summit 2022 in Rebel News, you should. It's called rebelwho.com and there you can also chip in to support our journalism because we brought you many great reports that you need to check out there. But today we are speaking with a grassroots political party in Germany called DeBasis. You might be familiar with their chairman. He is a leading prosecutor in Germany. His name is Reinhard Fulmich, who's been heavily involved in the Corona Investigative Committee. We're going to speak to some of their members here, but what they are informing the public about today is to stop the treaty, that's the pandemic treaty that Rebel News has already put on your radar. In fact, we have a petition set up for you guys to sign right now. You can open up your tab, go to another device and go to nopandemictreaty.com. They're going to explain why this may be a concern to your country's sovereignty. All right, so this is Claudia and Sylvia, both members with the DeBasis party I mentioned. They've got a funny sign set up here and lots of information. Let's step back again. The sign says, who the F is the who, the W-H-O. So first tell us why you had that banner set up. So this was about the pandemic treaty, which was planned for um, 2024 and EU and um, WHO um, member states are have consultations and want to change the uh, law, the national law of, they want to have an overall law to come over all the, um, they can decide what is a pandemic, what is a disease, how do we test the disease and decide it for all member states. And then they can decide, do we need to vaccinate? And as we know, uh, WHO is mainly financed by vaccination companies, let's say Gavi, uh, Bill Gates and others, and uh, many NGOs. And for that reason, for us, it's very important to keep our national sovereignty and to fight against this overwhelming um, claim on our rights. You're right. In Canada, there's actually been a small amount of MPs who have raised concerns about this treaty as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and it is sort of a question of whether or not we see another COVID-19. Could the WHO lock us all down across the board? You know, the, the, main, the, fi no? um, the main finance um, party for WHO is Germany. So we give much more money than USA, than um, Bill Gates Foundation. And this is really strange for us. Why is it Germany? And since last year, Berlin has also been home to the global hub for pandemic and epidemic intelligence. The founding of the World Health Organization hub is an important step towards understanding pandemic control and prevention as a task for the whole of humanity. And uh, we want to, we say exit, we are all, to Germany, and this is our main goal, to make the people aware of this um, yeah, unbelievable fact that we, as Germans, give the most money to them.
Well, uh, I do know that Germany has also been a key funder in the event that's taking place that we came down to cover as well. So you're right. And they have the majority of speakers out of the 300 speakers as well. Um, we've been covering that extensively at rebelwho.com. But right now I want to show you a man I spoke to yesterday who was leaving one of the events. He's actually with a network of delegates from 85 different countries attending the conference. Are you attending the whole uh, yes. event? Yes, the whole event, and we have some sessions also in the program, and we are signing an MOU with WHO. So signing a an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding with WHO. So. Oh, okay. Well, could you tell us a little bit more about what that's going to be? Yeah, so as we are a network of parliamentarians, our goal is um, to really have a good scientific background on policies. So mm. we rely on WHO, of course, to, to support our parliamentarians in that effort. So it's good right. to have an agreement that allows a, a direct path for that information. So we are really happy for it. So. And I see some of their events talk about um, working with politicians yeah. as well yeah. to have that. How much do you think politicians or maybe unelected political people should play a role in health? Sure, no, it's it's a combination between, um, so parliamentarians are elected by the citizens, so it's, um, they are the representatives of the citizens. So we work uh, not only, of course, with WHO, but with civil society representatives to make sure that the voices of the civil society is represented there. So that's the common sense for us, where we give provided tools for parliamentarians and politicians, or people that are not elected and don't have a public role, but for them to, of course, have a voice to say, because their policies will affect them, so it's, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I wanted one more question yes. about the pandemic treaty. Um, if you could just tell us where that is with things and maybe address the concerns some people have about their country's sovereignty if that treaty passes. Sure, I think that's, like, I can only speak by myself, so uh, I think uh, we're still in a very early stage of the discussions and we need to discuss content so we cannot be afraid of something that is still uh, needed to, to, to be discussed. If, if it improves the global health architecture, that's something good. Even if we agree on something, even if it's not in every detail, that's something good for the world. We cannot have the same thing as we had in, uh, in global health. You know, countries cannot be dealt like they are islands, uh, isolated from, from everyone. We need global health policies and that's why the WHO role is also important. Hi, sir. Hi. What do you think about what you're reading? Uh, some parts of it I knew already. I knew about the uh, pandemic uh, treaty of the WHO. No, WHO. <laughs> and I think it's, uh, it's really a crime which is planned there. If it passes, what would concern you the most about that? I think that a private organization as WHO it is, it is a private, not a legal organization, will have the, the right to determine uh, what the state can do with you, with your health care, with everything what, which concerns you. What do you think about what you're reading so far? Yeah, I know something about this. I, I read it before. Um, I'm really informed about it. So if it passes, what would concern you the most about that? I'm not so good in English, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Well, do you think it's good or bad? The, the exhibition? No, no, the pandemic treaty. No, it's uh, horrible. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Um, I want to, to decide by myself what is my health and what my body uh, come in on something. Yeah? 
I don't know, I, I don't want that somebody in far away decided what's uh, good or bad is for me, yeah. We have a crisis, I mean, all the time, but since 2020, uh, it has lost its um, awareness in the public. You know, people are busy with their own problems and we are still here and want to say that something is wrong with our government and with the things that are going and we just want to say, okay, we're still here, you can come and talk to us and we can have a discussion and think about the future, what we all can do for a better future. We don't want to exclude someone you know, we are here to talk to people. That's uh, because we had um, another demonstration and we had an open micro so that everybody from the street can come and talk to us. What do you think of Germany uh, hosting the World Health Summit 2022? Yeah. I think in uh, Germany, it's, uh, it's very important for this, um, for this new world order. That's why I think it's this uh, collection of this place. What do you think about it? Is it good or bad? Um, I can only uh, repeat what I read here. And when I read this, I'm angry because uh, I want to be in the position to decide for myself. And when I read that um, an institution like the WHO can um, say to every state how to act, then um, yeah, I'm angry because the WHO has no mandat, mandate. It's not an institution I have um, elect, yeah, elect. And that's why I think, um, yeah, I'm... It's angry English. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. I'm angry. Yes, yeah, and you're saying I worry. I worry about the, um, yeah, about the, how the WHO act. Exactly, and you made a good point that they're unelected. The people are not involved if they do get that power. But they have a power. They are not an institution elected, but they have the power to say to other countries how to act. Yes, that's the point. Yeah. Well, you heard what the hosts of this protest, as well as some of those passing by, had to say about the pandemic treaty. And if you agree with what they said, go to nopandemictreaty.com. Drea Humphrey for Rebel News.